0: Hello, I'm Bill Solis, and today I'm going to be talking to you about the three main reasons that the Lord is fiercely angry with the nation of Iran, and in his fierce anger, he will bring about a disaster and utter destruction of the ancient territory of Elam, which is be located on the western side of Iran today. It hugs the Persian Gulf. This will fulfill an ancient prophecy written around 596 BC by the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 49 Verses thirty-four through thirty-nine. I'm going to read you the specific verse of Jeremiah forty-nine, verses thirty-seven. Jeremiah writes, "For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies, before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them. My fierce anger, says the Lord, I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. We're talking about a utter destruction." Before I begin the teaching today, I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at Prophecy Depot Ministries, Bill Solace. You see it up there on the screen. We're putting forward timely and relevant prophetic content in these end times. As an example, here's a couple of shows I was on and they've been posted on YouTube and have received lots of views dealing with this timely prophetic information. For instance, the Jimmy Evans Tipping Point show on February 15th of 2023, has received 337,710 views already. It was entitled, The Next End Times Prophecy Revealed. Also, I was on the Eric Stackelback, The Watchman Show, talking about, does Psalm 83 describe Israel's war before Gog of Magog? You see that has 355,000 views, and that is on July 2nd of 2022. So please consider subscribing to our Prophecy Depot Ministries Bill Sala's YouTube page. Now it's important to locate the ancient territory of Elam on a modern day map of Iran. And you can see on the image, the peach colored area hugging the Persian Gulf is the territory of Elam. In 596 BC, Jeremiah wrote his prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 49 verses 34 through 39 about this subject territory. Now, his contemporary Ezekiel, about a decade later, wrote the Ezekiel 38 prophecy. And in Ezekiel 38 verse five, he identified Persia. So you see, Elam and Persia are the territories that comprise modern day Iran. Now, the Elam territory is a hotbed of problems for Israel and any other of Iran's enemies because it's where the Bashar nuclear reactor is, Bashar one, which is the crown jewel of Iran's nuclear program. But also, there's going to be a Bashar-2 and a Bashar-3 being built there because Russia has contracts with Iran to build two more facilities there. Now, in addition to that, and those should be done probably by 2026. Additionally, this particular territory is where Iran houses its underground missile silos and its portable rocket launchers, which are pointed at Israel. And it is also where the Iranian underground air base the Akhab 44 is located, and why that's significant and of concern, especially to Israel, will be discussed, and why that angers the Lord is part of the process. We'll be talking about that shortly. So I think it's time for those of you not familiar with the prophecy of Elam, just to do a summary of it. The Lord says eight times that He will, I will do something to Elam because of his fierce anger, and we'll summarize it. He says, I will bring a disaster upon them, my fierce anger. In other words, he's upset. Why is he upset? He's going to destroy from the other kings and the princes. Well, apparently there's some bad leadership, as is the case today. They want to launch something lethal somewhere because the Lord will break the bow of Elam, the launching capabilities. Of course, they've got ICBMs and uh, hypersonic missiles at this point. At the foremost of their might, and could that even be Nuclear, the might their nuclear, perhaps. He will then bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them, the indigenous population, the Elamites, toward all those winds. It's a worldwide scattering. It says there'll be no nations or the outcasts of Elam don't go. It sounds like a humanitarian crisis could result promptly on the heels of whatever this disaster is. It goes on to say, and he will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies before those who seek their life. It'll happen at a time when Islam has a menu of enemies. Of course, there's Israel's concerned. The international community is concerned about Iran as well. It says he will send the sword after them until I have consumed them. That would be a typology biblically of war norm- normally. And then the good news is he will set his throne in Islam. This has many Iranians encouraged when they've read this prophecy. I'll be getting into that good news shortly. And in the latter days, I'll bring back the captives of Elam, or in some translations, it talks about restoring the fortunes of Elam. So that's just a summary of the prophecy. and We'll move on forward with the study. Now, I sincerely believe that this prophecy of Elam has yet to be fulfilled. I believe it could be imminent. It could happen at any given time. We see what's going on in the Middle East with the rogue regime ruling Iran and their proxies, threatening Israel, becoming armed and dangerous to the teeth. However, not everyone agrees with my opinion on this. And there are some who believe it was fulfilled, like Dr. Mark Hitchcock and Andy Woods, fulfilled in the past through Nebuchadnezzar about 2,600 years ago. So as such, I have written an article, and this is also part of the chapter in the Future War Prophecies book, called Has the Prophecy of Elam in Jeremiah 49 verses 34 through 39? been historically fulfilled and you can read that article at prophecydepot.com and some of the arguments historical evidence that we put forward in that chapter and in that article are as follows. This is from Wikipedia. It says in 597 BC the Babylonian army departed from the Levant again for the Levant again but it appears not to have engaged in any military activities as they turned back immediately after reaching the Euphrates. The following year, Nebuchadnezzar marched his army along the Tigris River to do battle with the Elamites, but no actual battle happened as the Elamites retreated out of fear once Nebuchadnezzar was on a day's march away, according to Wikipedia. it Seems to be quite a bit of detail there, uh, debunking the possibility that there was a historical fulfillment of the prophecy at that time. Kyle and the write in their commentary, Even if Nebuchadnezzar were then occupied in the eastern portion of his kingdom, if there is nothing at all to prove that he was involved in war with Media or Elam. History says nothing of a war waged by Nebuchadnezzar on Elam, nor does this prophecy furnish any support for such an assumption. And then J.A. Thompson, in his commentary on the book of Jeremiah on page 33, said, A broken text in the Babylonian Chronicle may indicate a clash, not a destruction, but a clash, between Nebuchadnezzar and Elam in 596 B.C. to prevent an Elamite advance into Babylonia. Well, the Babylonian Chronicle is very important. Historical research is provided there for us. Here's a few things that it talks about. It says in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, 604-603, in the month of samanun whatever that really is pronounced as, I apologize, he mustered his army. The ninth century, 596-595, the month of the king of akkad and his troops marched along the bank of the tigris but here's the telltale passage there in the chronicle the king of elam was afraid and panic falling on him he returned to his own land so we have the king of elam panicked he retreated he went back to the territory of elam now why that's significant i write in the chapter and in the book and the article this following Jeremiah 49, verses 36 says that the population will scatter out of Elam into the nations of the world. A scattering, a worldwide scattering. And Jeremiah 49, verses 38 specifically predicts the kings, the king of Elam per se, and the princes of Elam will be destroyed. However, in this chronicle, we find out that the kings not only survived, but rather than scatter away from Elam, he returned back to Elam. These two facts mitigate against the possibility that the Elam prophecy found fulfillment through Nebuchadnezzar II. Additionally, I provide these notable biblical scholars all believe that this prophecy is yet future, has not found historical fulfillment. That would include Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, Dr. Arnold Gabrielin, Dr. J. Dwight Pentecost, Dr. John Wolverd, and Dr. Charles H. Dyer. So I really do encourage you to read the article I think you'll find it fascinating. You know, when Dr. Mark Hitchcock came out with his initial conclusions a few years ago, he said the destruction of Elam took place in the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. However, after a volley of emails from my senior researcher Brad Myers and myself, back and forth to Mark Hitchcock, he subsequently has said recently, and this is in the article, I agree that it never specifically says Elam was destroyed by Neb Nebuchadnezzar. You'll find all the things that we talked about in the emails in the article. I really encourage you to read it. I think you'll find it enlightening and fascinating. So while you're on prophecydepot.com checking out that article, don't forget to click on our products button and it'll take you to our products page, whereby you'll see all the books and DVDs that we've got available. There are bundle deals there. We can get books and DVDs together at a discounted price. Also, don't forget to check out our spiritual survival kit for those left behind thumb drive. This includes my five books and DVDs of the Here to Eternity series, the Now Prophecies, the Next Prophecies, the Last Prophecies, the Final Prophecies, and the Millennium Prophecies. This is great studies for you, but also something you can leave for your loved ones who will get, get left behind that you're concerned about. Also includes a Bible and some letters of instructions to your loved ones who would get left behind. So returning back to our study of Jeremiah chapter 49, the Elam Prophecy, I think we can rule out that King Nebuchadnezzar was not the one who fulfilled the Elam Prophecy. History tells us that at best there was a clash, but not an utter destruction of the Elam territory by Nebuchadnezzar, which is what the prophecy calls for. History just does not support him as the individual involved in the fulfillment of this prophecy. The Babylonian Chronicles tell us that the king of Elam was not destroyed, which is what Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 38 calls for. It says, I will destroy from there the kings and the princes. He was not destroyed, but the Chronicle tells us he actually fled back to Elam and retreated there. So that did not fulfill the prophecy in its entirety as well. But let's take a look at another king who came on the scene shortly thereafter, who was actually a good king. He wasn't an evil king and he was actually considered a shepherd, the Lord's shepherd, according to Isaiah 44, verses 28, which says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure? Saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Isaiah 44, verses 28. Now King Cyrus of Persia in in 539 BC conquered the Babylonians and did the good deed of sending the Jews back to Judah. Now what's interesting is that this prophecy was written by Isaiah well over 100 years before King Cyrus was even born. Cyrus was born around 600 and died at 529 B.C. So 600 to 529 B.C. Now when King Cyrus heard this prophecy, he was astounded. And we find out in Ezra 1, verses 2 through 4, King Cyrus responds accordingly as the shepherd that Isaiah told us he would be And what it says is, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he's commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. So King Cyrus is actually a good king uh in the bible he's one of the more famous kings in iran as well as this point matter of fact every time there is a and Ruz, the celebration of the new year in iran throngs of iranians go to his tomb to celebrate this good king of their past history matter of fact even the jewish people like king cyrus they've put together minted a coin when donald trump was president around the time he was going to move the Uh, U.S. Embassy into Jerusalem and it had a picture of Donald Trump superimposed over King Cyrus. Now, of course, we don't have a King Cyrus in that position. Presently, we have Ayatollah Khomeini who wants to wipe Israel off of the map. Now, let's fast forward even to modern times. The Shah of Iran, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, was actually a friend of the West. You see a picture of him with Harry S. Truman. Harry S. Truman was the first world leader to vote for the reinstatement of the nation of Israel in 1947. It was reinstated in 1948, but the UN vote was in 1947. So, we have this: the good kings, King Cyrus, and we have a good king, we'll say the Shah of Iran, but the Shah of Iran was deposed. So now we're going to string a few clips together to show you how, with the departure of the Shah when he was deposed in 1979 at the time of the Iranian Revolution, how Ayatollah Khomeini and his mullahs usurp power and established Sharia law at that point in time. Also, you'll see in this these clips how his successor the Ayatollah Khomeini is equally as ruthless and hates Israel and America.
1: The Shah and his empress left shortly before midday. The empire he had hoped to build had been shattered by a year of violence. The news spread with the speed of the human shout. Shah Farari Shodegh, the people cried, the Shah has escaped.
2: The old chant of death to the Shah was replaced today by a new one, death to Carter. There is still a strong sentiment against American interests in Iran and the widespread belief that the United States has taken the profits from the Iranian oil. Khomeini, Khomeini, they cried, we're waiting for you. The Ayatollah is expected to return to Iran, but when or how is not yet known. Gahee... Gahee sardam
0: dara... sardam رژیم سهیونیستی ما رو تهدید هم می تهدیده به حمله نظامی می کنند. اما به نظرم خودشون هم می دانند. و اگر نمی بدانند که اگر غلطی از اونها سر بزند جمهوری اسلامی تل و حیفا رو با خاک یکسان خواهد کرد. Okay, now it's time to introduce you to one of the three reasons, probably the primary reason, that the Lord's fierce anger is brewing right now against Iran. The time is coming in the not so distant future where the Lord is going to put the world on official notice that He's the covenant keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promise-keeping God of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that event is described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel 39, verse 7, which says, I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. And how is the Lord going to do that? Well, he's going to do that through... A supernatural event in the Gog and Magog invasion. Many of you might be familiar with Ezekiel 38 and 39. This is whereby Russia puts together an outer ring of countries. You see the map there where they're coming from. Their ancient names that Ezekiel wrote about are superimposed upon their modern-day equivalents. In the latter days, they're going to come against Israel. A formidable offensive, most massive armed and dangerous Middle East invasion of all times to that point. They're going to come to Israel for plunder and booty. Here's another look at who they are, these belligerents. The general consensus is it will be led by Russia. You have Turkey involved, Iran, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, probably Morocco and Germany could be in there as well. And they're gonna come to invade Israel. However, they're not gonna be successful because the Lord is gonna step forward supernaturally with a great earthquake. We're told this in Ezekiel 38 verses 19 through 23. Every man's sword will then turn against their brother. They'll be be killing one another. They speak different languages. This earthquake will panic them. Then there'll be pestilence and bloodshed, flooding rains coming down from the heavens, great hailstones and fire and brimstone. And it'll be clear that it was the God of the Jews who stopped those Russian invaders. And that's when he will be able to say clearly, I'll make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. So this requires an Israel to exist. Jewish people to exist, and of course those are both in the Holy Land today. Some of you might be wondering, well Bill, wait a minute, why are you singling out Iran as a subject of the Lord's fierce anger? That coalition that Russia leads includes Russia, Turkey, and all those other belligerents we talked about. Matter of fact, Ezekiel lists nine different populations invading Israel. But it's Iran today that poses the existential threat to Israel. It's They want to wipe Israel off the map. That has been their stated intentions for quite some time. Let's look at a few headlines going back as far as 2005 at the World Without Zionism conference when Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, made the bold statement, we want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Then in 2014, Ayatollah Khomeini put together a nine-point plan to destroy Israel. April of 2018, an Iranian commander said a date has been set for Israel's destruction, and three months later, in July of 2018, an Iranian official said, we will fight the enemy, referring to Israel, from Lebanon, meaning they would use their proxies of Hezbollah, who are stationed in Lebanon. Additionally, in 2016, Iran tested a ballistic missile carrying the message on Israel must be wiped out. Then just recently, they announced the fact that they put together an underground airbase Uh, close, it's actually in the Elam territory. They can launch that ballistic missile and actually not just that ballistic missile but they've since come out with a hypersonic ballistic missile which can carry a nuclear warhead and can wipe Israel out, hit Israel in 400 seconds which is 6.66 minutes.
2: An unveiling ceremony more than six months in the making. High-ranking officials watch as the Revolutionary Guards Aerospace Division displays what Iran says is its first domestically produced hypersonic ballistic missile. Named Fatah, the missile has a range of 1,400 kilometers and a speed of more than 15,000 km an hour. That's more than 12 times faster than the speed of sound. It's able to change direction rapidly and avoid most defense systems by traveling outside the Earth's atmosphere. President Ebrahim Raisi explained why Iran has developed such a weapon.
1: It is for deterrence. We build this missile so that our enemies don't even think about any acts of aggression against us. This unveiling has a message of security for all in the region, not just Iran. People should know the level of security in the entire region has increased.
2: Despite assurances and promises from the president to the contrary, this development is likely to increase tensions in the region Iran's ballistic missile program has been under UN Security Council sanctions since 2006 a restriction that's due to be lifted in October as a result of the 2015 nuclear deal that's when Iran will be allowed to buy and sell advanced missile technology One of the
1: most important characteristics of this missile is it can confront defense systems like that of enemies of Iran like the US and the Zionist regime. Since they have very advanced defense systems, this could have a significant impact on the weapons the Americans are selling specially to regional countries.
2: Iran's ballistic missile program is one of the biggest in the Middle East. It has more than 1,000 short and intermediate ballistic missiles that carry conventional warheads but they can be converted to carry nuclear ones. That's something officials continue to maintain they're not seeking.
0: Now, some have tried to incorporate Jeremiah 49, the Elam prophecy and Ezekiel 38 into the same prophetic event. Matter of fact, a case in point, my friend Nathan Jones was doing a TV show several months ago with Tim Moore on Christian prophecy TV. And he had posited this possibility. When I saw the show, I email Nathan the following reasons why I don't believe it could possibly be the same event. These reasons are written in my book called Nuclear Showdown in Iran, revealing the ancient prophecy of Elam. First of all, there's different defeats. uh, It says that the Lord will send the sword after the Elamites until he has consumed them, but in Ezekiel 38, we talked about it earlier in this video, the supernatural events of the earthquake and the flooding rains and the hailstone and the fire and brimstone and the pestilence, entirely different defeats to these two different prophecies. Different battle zones. This this war takes place in Jeremiah 49 in Iran, in the west coast, in the territory of Elam, whereas the Ezekiel 38 battle, the troops come with Russia and their coalition from the uttermost parts of the north upon the mountains of Israel, and that's where the Lord defeats them. Of course we also have different geographical locations. We showed this map earlier in the video. Elam is separate from Persia. Elam hugs the Persian Gulf. It's always been isolated and separated from Persia by the Zagros Mountain range. Persia is on, of course, in the central and western part, excuse me, eastern part of Iran today in a modern day map. Several different geographical locations separate the two prophecies. It's interesting because Ezekiel thirty eight seems to intentionally omit Elam. Because Ezekiel knows about Elam, he writes about Elam in Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 24 through 25. But in, Ezek- in the uh, prophecy of Ezekiel 38, he does omit Elam entirely among the belligerents. Also, kind of a lesser point, but I think it's important to note that Elam in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 39, is promised restored fortunes. It says he will, in some translations, the captives will be returned to their homeland, but you'll find after Ezekiel 38, you won't find any promise of restored fortunes or returned captives to Persia anywhere in the Bible. So I don't believe you can consider these two the same events. So after I sent these this list of differences to Nathan Jones, he got back to me and said that he agreed. It doesn't make any sense that they could be the same event. Okay, so now you might be wondering, since we've been talking a lot about Iran at large and Persia and Elam, Persia in separate location, etc., you might be wondering, well, why is the Lord narrowing down his fierce anger toward the territory of Elam and not all of Iran, per se? Because the Ayatollahs and the Mullahs, of course, are ruling over the whole country. Well, remember the slide I showed at the beginning of the video. Elam is where all the uh, underground missile silos and portable rocket launchers are. the Nuclear reactor Bashar-1, they're going to have two more there, two and three. Who knows when this disaster will happen, but the disaster will take place where all these ballistic missiles and things in the underground air base have is located. They're all located in this territory, and Israel will have to cross through this territory if they're the ones who are going to try to uh, come against Iran's nuclear programs. So this is the hotbed territory right here. This is where all the dangerous missiles are. Remember the prophecy says... In Jeremiah chapter 49 verse 34 that he will the Lord will break the bow the missile launching capabilities of Elam at the foremost of their might and this is where they are so i'm going to show you a couple clips right now showing you where that Iran put together one of these clips that talks about the what they plan on doing to Israel from their missiles being launched underground portable rocket launchers from this territory and then the other one we're going to show you will show you where these missiles are actually located inside of the Zagros mountains In that area of Elam on the border of the mountains and in some of the provinces inside of Elam. So you'll find these videos very fascinating. This is probably why the focus now gets narrowed down to the fierce anger of the Lord in the territory of Elam. So I want to tell you about the number two reason why the Lord is angry with Iran. Now this is not confined specifically to Elam but takes part across the whole country of Iran. Remember, uh, God is love. He's an equal opportunity God. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, even the Iranians, that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. In fact, number three reason I'll be getting to shortly that the Lord is angry with Iran is dealing with the fact that Iran is one of the fastest growing evangelical countries in the world. We'll talk about that shortly. But as far as human rights go, uh, persecution, even the protests that have been going on recently have been squelched under severe persecution. I'm going to show you a video about the protests and the harsh treatment of the Iranian government and the protesters. This has got to be angering the Lord who is a God of love and equal opportunity. Iran is, a, is governed by a ruthless regime, a dictatorship. They censor the media. Matter of fact, I believe there's only six uh, TV stations available that, and it's all censored in Iran. So Iran is not an equal opportunity nation. It's interesting that King Cyrus when it was the first man who king who wrote the Bill of Rights for people. But that Bill of Rights has been ignored by these current leaders. Okay, so thus far we've talked about number one reason that the Lord is angry with Iran is because they want to wipe Israel off of the map. And the Lord has significant plans in the end times. We're told in Ezekiel 39.7 that he's going to make his holy name known in the midst of of his people Israel. So there has to be an Israel, has to be a Jewish people in order to fulfill that prophecy, but Iran would like to stop that unbeknownst to them that that is going to go against the grain of God's promises. Second is the clash of human rights. Iran is a very repressive regime. They don't allow for human rights. We saw with the protest video, no freedom of worship. That's the other problem. Number three, which we're going to talk about right now, is that expression of freedom of worship that's not allowed iran is the fastest growing evangelical population in the world it's an amazing phenomenon it's growing at a rate of 19.6 percent which was a few years ago it's probably even going faster than that presently supernatural evangelism is going on by the lord dreams visions miracles and healings are taking place orchestrated by god himself and many many iranians are converting from islam into christianity so at this point i want to introduce you to a dear friend of mine named who's instrumental in what's taking place in Iran. He's the founder of Iran Alive Ministries. Joe Rosenberg calls him the Billy Graham of Iran. He has a TV show, Iran Alive Ministries. His show's called The Seven. I told you in a prior segment that there's six TV uh, stations in Iran that are all censored, so he calls his, in irony, The Seven because he goes in through satellite television and reaches millions of Iranians through his TV program, where he teaches about the gospel, about Bible prophecy. I've had the opportunity to see a picture of him and I. I've been on his show several times, talking about the prophecies of Elam, Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, the rapture, and a few more as well. I'll show you a clip in just a moment. But this is a very significant ministry, and and having a great impact on what's going on in Iran. It's an incredible phenomenon when you think about the the backdrop that's going on with the Iranian regime trying to get a nuclear weapon, but there's a spiritual showdown going on at the same time that a nuclear showdown is going on in Iran. So I'm going to take a moment to show you this video clip, and then we'll continue. But by the way, I do want to say this also. Uh, Their mission statement in Iran Alive Ministries is transforming Iran into a Christian nation in this generation, and where they're getting that from, is the Jeremiah 49 verses 38 and 39 where it says the Lord will set his throne in Elam that excites them and he will restore the fortunes of Elam, of course, to those who are dispersed as part of the prophecy. So we'll watch this video clip and then I'll come back to tell you more about the exciting news of what's taking place in Iran. The result of this prophecy is that
1: a calamity, a disaster occurs because the Lord has been angered. If
0: this is a prophecy for our time, and I believe it is. Iran wanting to wipe Israel off the map, it would anger the Lord. So I'd mentioned that there's supernatural evangelism going on in Iran on a very large level. It's an incredible phenomena. Dreams, visions, miracles and healings are taking place. I've got a little another clip I want to show you with Hormoz Sharia talking about that phenomena that's taking place.
1: Number two, visions and dreams and miracles, normal in Iran. Let me tell you this story. This man called me on the air, on the live program, and uh, he was saying, he said, I, three months ago I had liver problem and I called you and you prayed for me and I got healed and I was saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And, He was not excited. He had such a monotone voice. And then I prayed for others. I prayed for somebody with tumor. He got healed. One of my relatives had cancer. I prayed and she got healed from her cancer. And here I was saying, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. After three, four minutes of this, he got frustrated with me. He stopped, he said, Pastor Mos, why are you so excited? Have you read your Bible? This is normal. It must happen. I mean, he had no emotions and I I was so excited for him. It was normal for those people. It is normal that Jesus does miracles. Even in, in Quran, they look at Jesus as a miracle worker.
0: So the Lord is doing supernatural evangelism throughout Iran. I think it's safe to say the third reason that he's angry, fiercely angry with the rulers of Iran is because they are trying to block his efforts. They are persecuting severely those Christians that he's evangelized to and brought into the family. Christian persecution in Iran is probably the toughest throughout any other country in the world. If you become a Christian, you almost guaranteed you be thrown in jail if you get caught, severely beaten, and in some cases sentenced to death, which is a case in point with these two gals you see on this image. They wrote a book called Captive in Iran. That is, Mariam Rastampur and Marizaya Amarizeda and they were thrown in jail for passing out Bibles. They were sentenced to death. While they were in jail, they were witnessing to the inmates. They were praising Jesus. They were leading many of the women to the Lord. They were thrown into the Evan prison, which is notoriously one of the worst prisons with the harshest treatment inside of all of Iran. Sentenced to death, but they, there was a public outcry that, fortunately, after 259 days, got them released, and they, were not, and they lost their death sentence and were put out into the public at which point they wrote this book, and I highly recommend it, Captive in Iran, I've read it. It's one of the better books you'll find out there that talks about the real persecution that's going on in Iran. Now Jesus is witnessing to these Iranians, and by by the groves, they're coming out of Islam, because of the supernatural evangelism, and other things that are going on. I'm about to tell you a few stories of how the underground church in Iran works that you'll find fascinating. So now I'm excited to talk about what's taking place in the underground church in Iran. I've had the opportunity of meeting and becoming a friend with Mansoor, who is a disciple of uh, Homo Shariat. Now, he's one of the leaders of the underground church in Iran. And he shared some very interesting stories with me. And one of them we'll start with here is how the underground church operates over there. Uh, what will happen is one of the disciples will go out and find someone and start talking to them and start talking about having a sort of a study at their house, inside the home, and they'll get there and there'll be some people invited, some of the family members and friends, and they'll approach the subject of Adam. You know, going back, because you know, a lot of people in Islam, of course, understand Adam. It's non-threatening to them. And they'll talk about Adam and his story, and then they'll get through that process, and then the next week they'll move up the ladder to talk about Noah. Of course, they know about Noah and Islam as well. Talk about the flood and the story there, and. Then they're going to go into the third week. Now, Each week, more and more people are coming into these meetings, friends and family members getting excited about this. And now they're going to talk about Abraham. And by the time they get to week three and talk about Abraham, of course, who's the patriarch of uh, Islam, Judaism and Christianity. They all know them over there, Abraham over there and and respect him. By the time it comes for this study, the third week, Someone at the study has probably had a dream, vision, miracle, or healing and excited the whole audience. So now more and more people are coming. So by the time they get through a few more studies, and I think it's around week six, that's when they introduce Jesus to the crowd. And by the time they do that, almost every man, woman, and child that's there, they all receive Jesus Christ and make a decision for him. It's an incredible phenomenon. And of course, then they start the process over again and again. And the underground church is spreading through that curriculum. Another story Mansoor told me about was he had heard about this guy down in the southern part of Iran who would met with this stranger and had an incredible, miraculous story to talk about. Now, this is down by the Afghan border. where There's a lot of drug trafficking going on and that sort of thing. So Mansoor wanted to go down to meet this guy and hear his story. So he traveled all the way down there, dirt roads and everything, and he goes to this guy's house. And the guy invites him in and he says, You know, I want to hear your story about this mystery man that you met. So he starts to talk to him. He said, this man came up to my door and, you know, this guy's got no electricity in his house, this, this stranger, uh, the man that Mansoor is interviewing. This man comes up to my house, knocks on the door. His eyes were very uh, glowing. He seems very, had this kind of aura about him. And he asked if he could come in my house and if I would write what he wanted to tell me. So by candle, you know, by lamp, the the guy started writing what this stranger was saying to him. And then a time would go by, the, the guy would get tired, the stranger would leave, he'd come back again and again, and several times he came back. And so this man continued to write and dicta- the dictation that was given to him by this mysterious stranger. So Mansour said to the man, he goes, well, can you go get your notebook and tell me what what he wrote, I mean, what he wrote, what he told you to write. So he went and got his notebook and he came back and to Mansoor's astonishment, it was the entire Gospel of John written verbatim. And so the stranger said, I'm fascinated by this. What does it mean? And he opened up John fourteen six and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but through me. So Mansoor had the opportunity to translate and interpret that verse for him and lead him to the Lord. And the point of this story is that Jesus Christ apparently came to this man as part of the supernatural evangelism, this stranger out on, you know, no electricity on a dirt floor in his shanty and saved him through, you know, through Mansour's discipleship who gave him the, the book of John. And he did it for this one man, which now, of course, that story, I've shared it with many people. I'm sharing it with you as well. So fortunately, many more people are getting to be blessed by hearing this story. But that's the point with Jesus Christ. He died for every one of us, every man, woman, and child. If We would just put our faith in him and believe in him and receive him we shall be saved. If we confess with our lips that He is Lord and believe in our heart that He was raised from the dead, we shall be saved. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this study.